0: All right, Shabosai. Good morning. Good morning. We're going to start the microphones. Going to kick on in just a moment, but let's begin. Emetz Hashem, with thanking all of our sponsors for this morning. share, to thank our Tamutora sponsors for the month of El. To thank Jerry and Sara for dedicating all the Shem this month in the Shchus of Shleima for Zecharia Dove Ben Perel Shira. To thank the Tilson and Wolf families of Eretz Yisrael for dedicating all of the Shem Rosh this month in honor of. The weddings of our children, and with best wishes for a Sharnatova Umasuka for the entire year. To thank Shindy and Abram Kelman of Ari TSOF for dedicating all the Sharman this month in memory of their beloved parents. And a mischus of all those who need a rafur shalima. And to thank Mrs. Salma Wolf for, for dedicating over to and Joshua's this month. With immense gratitude to Hashem and with tefilos for health for all in the new year. Beautiful, Brahma bosei. With that, let us begin. We a beautiful, beautiful da'faras. I just want to give you coming attractions this week. This week, actually, tomorrow, we're going to be starting a sugya that is just going to be mind blowing, life altering. Comprehensively cathartic in every single way. So, what I'm saying is, like, oh, see, <laughs> see, see what happened there. All right, so i say, so let's, let's, today also beautiful daff. Today's daff is Chav 28. 28, we are picking up on Chav Zainum with these. I want to thank Rabbi Richter for giving shir yesterday. So, we are picking up, we are picking up at the end of the daff. Uh-oh. So the Gemara says, uh, here, s- second line up from the bottom. So I says, Remember again, just to orient this a little bit. There, speak, thank you. We're speaking about the kinds of Gilgul Shavua. So what's Gilgul Shavua? Shavua is, is an oath. So the halokh is that there are certain things for which a person is permitted to take an oath on, and then there are other things you can Let's just give an example of this. You cannot be made to swear regarding, uh, regarding a claim on real estate. Right. So if we have a real estate dispute, and and I don't believe you're, and I'm making a claim against you, I cannot, I'm, let's make it easier. I have a claim, real estate claim against Ruvain. I cannot trigger an obligation for Ruvain to take an oath regarding real estate, regarding land. Okay, the has a whole drusha on that. Gilgul Shvuah says, like says like this once you are obligated to take an oath on something, we can essentially cause that oath to devolve upon things which in other circumstances you can never really be obligated to take an oath on. In other words, once you're already swearing, once you're already taking an oath, we can ultimately go ahead and expand the scope of that oath. So for example, if I have a monetary dispute with Reuven, a monetary dispute with Reuven, for example, I tell Reuven, Reuven, you owe me $1,000. Reuven says, I only owe you $500. That is the paradigmatic case that we call mode it partial admission. What's the law of partial admission? Reuven has to take an oath. He has to take an oath. So now once Reuven's taking an oath, Ultimately, again, on that $500, we could expand the scope of the oath to cover other things else. So if we did have a real estate dispute, I can say, Ruben, by the way, I also want you to swear regarding that you don't uh, owe me that land, whatever else it may be. That's the concept of Gilgul Shavuah. So in yesterday's Dach, the Gemara ultimately learned that out from the concept of Sota. Right that when a sota, remember we actually learned this concept in of sota that when a woman is a sota, remember again she's suspected of adultery, so part of the way in which she go ahead is, she goes ahead and solidifies her innocence is to take an oath. Well, once she's swearing regarding this in the potential indiscretion, so we're going, we can go ahead and make her swear about all other previous potential indiscretions as well. So now the Gemara says, the Gemara says Ashkechan Sota. So now, I understand the concept of Gilgul as it appears by Sota the Isura. Now we'll say, the second line up from the bottom, 27B. So i will say, so now remember again, Sota is Isr, right? It's is a matter of prohibition. So now I understand the concept of Sota ultimately applies to matters of prohibition. Mamona minavon. From where do I know that the concept of Gilgul also applies by Mamon? So for example, like we'll say, go back to what I just said before. I go ahead and I have, I have a dispute with Ruvein, but I say how do I know that once we're swearing by a monetary dispute I could cause that shvua to devolve upon other areas as well. So it's der very Kaba Khomer, it's a Kava what's the Kavachomer? Here we go. Uma sotah when it comes to a sota top of Khafkasamadal of twenty a shilo nitna lihitava ba echad. I was saying I remember again the sota process cannot be triggered by an aid echod. It cannot be triggered by a solitary witness. It's actually, the first mission in Sota it cannot go ahead and be triggered by a solitary witness. But instead, you need two Adam. Look at Rashi. Tap Rashi. Chav Chesam Adalif Shlo Nitnol Bitova Shvu Ashalah Be Eid Echad Kidar Minal Hasham Shne Idem Shara Uah Shenistira Di Yalif Daver So, I'm remember again how does how does how the Sota process triggered? So, remember again, there are two parts. Number one is a warning. One is a warning, and number two is stira. Where ultimately, as so a warns his wife Rachel, don't be alone with Shimon. Ultimately, again, Rachel goes ahead and violates that warning. She is alone with Shimon. Who sees that she was alone with Shimon? Who sees? Two witnesses. Right? Without two witnesses, you cannot trigger the Sota process. Why? Because shav of Dover Dover Mi Mamun. Just like Yimatzav Dover Erva. So, just like again, by Mamun, you need two witnesses. So, to by Sota, you need two witnesses. So, by Sota, the entire process is not triggered by an eid echad yet megalgalin. Yet their concept of gilgal shvuah, in other words, that once she's swearing about this particular situation, we could cause her to swear about other scenarios as well. Mamun shenitan li tava eid echad. conversely, mamun. When it comes to monetary issues, monetary issues, you can trigger a shvuah. Even through one witness. When can you trigger a Shua through one witness? Take a look at Rashi. I'm supposed to listen to this case. Rufin goes over to Shimon. Rufin says to Shimon, you owe me $1,000. Me a $1,000. Shimon says, I owe you zero. This is what we call an aloho? bakol. Bakol. Then what happens? An aid Echad comes along, one witness comes along and says, no, I, I know that Shimon owes Ruvain a thousand dollars. So what's Allah saying? The testimony of that one witness triggers a Shavua obligation for Shimon. Shneemar, lo yokum Eid Echad because the Pasik says, one witness cannot rise up against the person for any iniquity or chatos. So say, here's what's interesting. So watch the kabachomer. When it comes to sota, the entire sota process can only be triggered by what? By what? Two witnesses. Yet we've established that the concept of gilgul shvua applies by sota. Mamon, monetary matters, where you can trigger a shvua even through the testimony of one witness, certainly should be subject to the concept of gilgul shvua, which I will say again, which means that which means that So we'll say which now means that here's what we've proven. We've proven both in the areas of Isser and in the areas of Mamon, the concept of Gilgal shivua. So once again, what does that mean? Just like by the sota, once she is swearing regarding this indis- potential indiscretion, we could say, we could say, we want this oath to devolve upon other areas of indiscretion, which in and of themselves would not have triggered a shivua obligation. Now we find the same thing by Mamun. Once a person is obligated to swear regarding a monetary claim, what could we do? We can now go ahead and cause that oath to devolve upon other areas, other areas which by themselves would not normally have triggered an obligation for Shavuah. Right? So, in a sim- so just to give you a simple example of this, going back to the case of Rashi, right? where let's say again, Reuben said to Shimon, you owe me a thousand dollars. Shimon says, I owe you nothing. Go for a call. Eidachan comes along and says, Shimon owes Reuben a thousand dollars. So again, remember, is Eidachan enough to cause Shimon to have to pay Reuben? No. Right? Because remember again, the monetary time matters. what do you need? Two witnesses. So what does an Adacha do? An Adacha triggers Shavua. Now once Shimon is swearing regarding that money, what else could happen over here? So now Ruve can come up with a whole other list of items that he wants Shimon, Shimon to take a Shavuah on. Remember that real estate dispute we had a couple of years ago? Even though normally, again, you can't take a Shavuah on karko, But once you're already taking a shibua on mammon, now we could go ahead and cause it to devolve upon other areas. It's an incredible, incredible thing. Listen, the, the concept in general of Gilgal is is a fascinating one. Oh, okay. Let, let's, let's actually go a little bit weiter, and then, then we'll come back and talk about it. So, Ashkechon bevadai. So the Gemara says, so now i will say, so let, let's drill down this a little bit more. So now I see the concept of shvuah as it applies ultimately, again, by vadai. it was Okay, fine, I'll say it now. Listen to this. I, I, I'll tell you what struck me. It struck me last night during Slichus a little bit. i will say, what's the concept of Gilgul The concept of shvuah is often, what happens in life is, there are concrete points of entry. And then when you have those concrete points of entry, what happens is it opens your mind to a whole bunch of other things. So for example, Gilgal Shavua says is, there's a particular scenario that is going to obligate you in Shavua, okay? Now once you're swearing, once you're swearing, let's, let, let's open that up to all of the other areas that could also use some additional resolution through an oath, but maybe would have never generated an obligation for an oath by themselves. We'll say, if you think about it, is that not the concept of tshuva? Right? What, what do we do? What do we do during slichas? Right? We say, Hashamnu, bagadnu, Gazamnu. we we'll say, what's, what's, the, what's the avoda when you're saying Hashamnu? What's the avoda when you're saying Hashamnu? Hashamnu refers to a particular category of sin. What am I supposed to be thinking when I do video? I'm supposed to be thinking, what else did I do? What else did I do? Because so often in life, we tend not to think very deeply about our existence, right? Most of us, it's just the nature of the human condition, kind of live on a somewhat superficial level. The goal ultimately of Tshuva is, Chazal gave us a verbiage, but the goal of that, right, in some of the Machzorim, some of the Machzorim, so they have a listing of every single Avera that begins with Aleph, (laughs) and every single Avera... It's a, it's a fam oxen, right? <laughs> and, 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 so, and, and the averes that begin with "be." What's the, what's the goal of it? The goal of it is that vidui, confession, is supposed to, is supposed to go ahead and spark just a process of asking for forgiveness. It's just supposed to get me to think about the things that like, How often does it happen over the course of a day that I do things? I don't even think about what it is that I'm doing. But then when I take a step back, I'm like, why did I do that? Why did I do this? That, it's guilt. What's Gilgoshua? Gilgoshua is, there's a concrete point of entry. But then once I have that concrete point of entry, it causes me to like think about the rest of the other areas of my life. What's chuva? What's vidui? There's a concrete point of entry. Ashamnu, bagarnu, gazanu, dibarnadofi. But then the goals, I will say, again, slichas, a person could say every single word and not accomplish the task. And a person could say three words, and then their mind is totally opened up to thinking about what is happening in my life, and that's mission accomplished. Tshuva essentially is the same dynamic as Gogol. Shvua. So the Gemara goes right, third line So we we'll say, so now here's what's interesting. So now I found the concept Gogol Shvua in a vadai case. Now I we'll say, now remember again, what does that mean in a vadai case? Look at Rashi, Ashkechan vadai, shemagalgalin Shvua tainus bari, so listen to this. So now so I, I understand that the cons of Gilgal Shavua, as it applies ultimately again to other definitive claims, but those definitive claims cannot trigger a Shavua. So so for example, I was say for example, let's just keep going back to let's keep going back to our regular case, right? So now I have a claim against Ruvain. Regarding a particular piece of land, right? I have a definitive claim against him. Can that claim generate a Shvuah? Can a claim generate a Shvuah? No, because he can't take a Shvuah on Karka. So now, what does Gilgul say? Once I have another claim against Ruvain, which does generate a Shvuah, I could have that Shvuah devolve upon Karka. But, but that, the Gilgul applies to a definitive claim, what we call Tainos Bari. How do I know Suffolk Minolan? We will say, this is incredible. How do I know, that once once I have a claim against Ruvain and he has to take a Shavuot, I could even cause that Shavuot to devolve upon what we call a Tainas suffix a potential claim. We will say, now what's an example of a potential claim? Take a look at Rashi. Sofei minayin Tainas Shema Kigon Shavuot Hashotvin V'arisen Shechalko Disslam B'Shavuot Chilko Hashotvin V'arisen And Yohal Hashbio. will this is a great case. Let's say I'm in business with Ruvain. We're dividing the business. They both say, one of the reasons we're dissolving the partnership is because I don't trust ruvain I don't trust ruvain So you know, down, I'm sorry, everything is, I'm sorry. Hey, so, so ultimately, I'm sorry, it's not like a subtle hint about what you need to do. You know and I say, so, so, so what's interesting is that's how, so now I, I, I'm dissolving the partnership with ruvain So they will say, so what do, what do I wanna do? What do I wanna do? I, I, I really want ruvain to take a Shavuah that he did not steal from the partnership. Right? That's really what I want to do. The problem is you can't, really t- you, you can't force a shvua like that because it's amorphous and ambiguous. Now listen, here's what's interesting. But, but, if I go ahead and I have a definitive claim against Reuben, then Gilgul Shvua says I could cause him to go ahead and swear <coughs> even regarding what we call a tainus suffake, which is an ambiguous claim. For example, for example, let's just keep going back to the same thing, right? I say in Reuben, Reuben, you owe me a thousand dollars. Reuven says, I owe you nothing. Adachan comes along and says, Ruben, you owe silver $1,000. What's that luck on that case? Shavuah. So how do I know that now, once Reuven's taking a shvua over a definitive claim, that ultimately, again, that shavuah could devolve even upon potential claims? So now I could say, Reuven, remember when we were business partners? I want you to swear, right? When, you, when you're swearing now over this, including that oath, that you did not steal any money from the partnership. That's called a tainasatheh. So I don't know that like, Gilgul applies here. This, so here we go, we know a lot. So the Gomer says, Tanya, Rabbi Shemayi Yochai Omer, Ne'emra Bachutz. Rabbi say, the Torah speaks about a Shavuah Bachutz. Bachutz means outside of the Beis HaMikdosh, in a regular Beis Din, right? V'ne'emra Shavuah B'fdim. And it says Shavuah inside the Beis HaMikdosh. Rabbi will say, what's the Shavuah that's taken inside the Beis HaMikdosh? That's Sota. That's Sota, right? Because remember again, the Sota process takes place inside the Beis HaMikdosh. And ultimately, again, there is a shvuah that is part of that particular process. Good. So the Gemara says, it says, we'll say, The shvua of Sota, shvua of Sota, the entire thing is Sophek. Right? Remember again, do we know if this woman committed adultery or not? Do we know? Do we know? No. Because if we knew, then What? What? There's no process, right? In other words, there's no sort of process. Maybe there's a death penalty, right? But again, even if you can't minister a death penalty, there's also the process. So just like the Shavua that's done inside the Beis HaMikdash is by Safek, and they made Safek Kivadai, HaShavua HaAmura Bechot, Asa safek Kivadai. So to ultimately, again, the Shavua that is administered outside of Beis Din is also made, is also made, make a Safek so Kivadai, which means, what that means is, that the same way, when they administer the shvur to the sota, the whole thing is safek. The whole thing is safek, and you could go ahead and cause the shvur to devolve upon other scenarios that themselves may be safek. So, to have say outside of the base when you are administering a shvua, you could cause that shua to devolve even upon Suffolk situations. So I will say, so just to be clear what that means is like this. We've just fundamentally expanded the parameters of Gilgul Shwa. So we'll say, here's what you need. In other words, in order to get Gilgul Shvua started, what do you need? What do you need? A shvua. Right? You need a Shavuah. Now remember to be clear, a shvua really is is only is only generated with a specific case. Right? In other words, it needs to be a specific claim. Now what we've seen is that Halo l'maisa, once there is a shvua generated by a specific claim, you can now take that shvua and cause it to devolve upon any other scenario, right? Other definitive claims, right? Other vaday claims, other suffet claims. That's the power of Gilgul shvua, and it applies by iser. We learned that out ultimately again by sota. It applies by mamon by monetary matters from the Kabbalah sota. Fine. Now the gemara says, and hechon Gilgul shvua. I we'll say, how far does this go? So now we'll say, so here, here's what we know. Right. So now, halocha lemaisa, right? Reuven is taking a shvua. Right? He's, he's obligated to take a shvua. And now we've established this, we could cause that shvua to devolve upon a whole bunch of other cases. How far, or in other scenarios, how far can you take it? I was supposed to say. So now, so I, I want. Right? So again, I'm the claimant, right? So I'm saying, Reuven, you owe me a thousand dollars. Reuven says, I owe you nothing. I owe nothing. One witness comes along and says, Reuven, you owe silver $1,000. So now Reuven has to take a Shavuah. Okay. So i says, so Gilgul Shavuah says, Gilgul Shavuah says that lamaisa I can now cause Reuven to swear about a whole bunch of other things that by themselves I cannot have generated obligation for Shavuah. The Gemara says, how far can you go in your claims of Gilgul Shavuah? In other words, do I say that once he's swearing, I can make him swear about Anything? Anything? Or is there some type of limitation? So the Gemara says, Amravi he avdiyata. So the we'll Gemara say, says, you can go as far as saying, "Ruvain, take an oath that you are not my Eved. That you are not my Eved. Wow. Okay, so the Gemara says, now Bosay, now we're assuming over here that this means an Eved Kinani. Eved Kinani. So the Gemara says, So, Shamuti they say that can't be true because if you call someone an Eved kinani, you could actually be excommunicated. Why? I'll listen to this. This is incredible. But say, if you call your friend an Eved, if you call your friend an Eved, ultimately, again, you're excommunicated. Now, I understand the ramifications of calling someone an Eved, It's right, pretty significant because essentially what you're saying is they're not Jewish. Right? They're not Jewish or they're quasi-Jewish. In other words, what you're doing essentially is you're impugning their genealogy. I will say we're so like we are so numb to these kind of things because the truth is like we live in an age of name calling and labeling and all this kind of stuff, you know, with with, with nothing. With with nothing. So I would say but like the idea of calling of calling someone a name and saying something negative about someone that, that impugns their genealogy that is a very, very serious thing that can have real transgressions, that can have real ramifications. So if the Gemara says, you call someone an Evan Kenani, you excommunicate You have an Edoi. right? Mamzer, what if you call someone a Mamzer? I was like, get ready for this one. You call someone a Mamzer, you get Malchus. You get Malchus. Let's say, like, can you imagine that? Right, how many people do we call Mamzerim every single day? Now, granted, granted, we, we often use it much more as a descriptive term than a genealogical term, right? But but lamaisa, but Lamaisa again, you see we'll say how careful you have to be how you speak about other people. So you call someone an Ebed, you get you're excommunicated. You call someone a Mamzer, M- Malkus. We'll say, watch this. Russia. What happens if you call someone a Russia? They will say, by the way, this is so big. This is so big. You call someone a Russia, your is... Imo lechayiv. Nevo say this is very interesting. Now, if you call someone a Russia, or really, what it means is if someone calls you a Russia, yorei imo lechayiv means. Look at Rashi. Look at Rashi. You are allowed here. Yorei Rashi yorei imo lechayiv kilomar l'zoo ein bezdiniskakim. Nevo say bezdin will not get involved. If someone calls you a Russia, right? If someone calls you a Russia, bezdin doesn't get involved, right? So if you call someone, if you call someone an evid, Baizdin gets involved, they'll excommunicate you. You call someone a Mamzer, Bazin gets involved, they'll give you Malchus. We'll say, why, why? Because those things have genealogical repercussions. You call someone a Rasha, Bazin doesn't get involved. However, Bazin does give you a license. Ella, Rashi says, we'll say, This is wild. You're allowed to hate that person. You're allowed to hate the person who calls you a Rasha. <laughs> And I both say you are allowed to go ahead, and you're allowed to go ahead. I say, and compete with him in business to cause him a financial loss. And I say, now, what's going on over here? Now, Rashi Bab Metzia, Rashi Bab explains this a little bit more, and Rashi says, "I will say, what it, think about it for just a moment." Ruben comes and calls me a rasha, Calls me a rasha. So what? So what? Right? What does it matter? I say here's the issue. <coughs> From the Isaac Hazal, the issue is people aren't going to want to do business with me, right? If people think that I'm a Russia, that means usually I'm a dishonest person. I lack integrity. People are not going to want to do business with me and this is going to negatively impact me. So because of that, Chazal said, if someone's calling you a Russia, you are permitted to take proactive steps to stave off any loss. Number one, you're allowed to despise someone, which is an interesting thing in and of itself. That you're allowed to despise someone who calls you a Russia. And I will say, and number two, you are permitted to take proactive steps to compete with them in business to go ahead and save your own Parnosa. I will say, such an incredible idea. First, of all, just as an assignment, I will say, you see from here, what do you see from here? You know, they say, what's the famous adage? Sticks and stones will break my bones, but words, words will never harm me. You see, that's blatantly false, blatantly false. Words matter, words hurt, words can damage. Vaharaya, you call someone in Ebed, excommunication. You call someone a Mamzer, Malkus. You call someone a Rasha, they are permitted to hurt, hate you and they are permitted to take active steps to go ahead and safeguard their business interests by harming yours. Words absolutely matter. What we see and how we talk to others absolutely matters. So the Gemara says, going back. So the Gemara says, hello, Ammarabah. So therefore, i say, it can't be, it can't be. Remember, we're trying to figure out how far Gilgal Shvuah goes. So the Gemara wants to suggest that if I have I have a claim against Reuven, which generated a Shavuah, I can even tell Reuven to take an oath that he's not my eved. That can't be, because if I call Ruven my eved, ultimately again, I'm chayiva excommunication. Ela, the Gimars, Ela, Amar shavali Hishavali kartali la eved Ivri. I can make Ruven swear, Gilgul Shavuah, I can make Reuven swear, swear to me that you were never sold to me as an eved Ivri. As an eved Ivri. Well, eved Ivri, Hayta'ana semal yosihi, mamone islegabeh, We'll say, the truth is, saying that someone is your avid is what kind of claim? It's a monetary claim. It's a monetary claim. We'll say, remember again, how do you get an avid how, how, how does, we learn this. We learn these silvias. How does someone become your avid ivery? Generally, it's because what? They owe you money. They owe you money in some way, shape, or form. They owe you money. So if we'll say, if I go to Ruvay and I say to Ruvay I claim that you're my evidivri, that is actually a monetary claim. Well, if it's a monetary claim, monetary claim by itself, catching actually generally So the Gemara says, Ravah latameh da' Evan Ivri, Evan Ivri, Guf HaKanoy. So we'll said, no, 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 Rubber goes on his reasoning, because rubber holds, we actually saw this before, Rubber holds that Evan Ivri is actually acquired by his master. His Guf is owned by his master. If that's the case, hainu karka. If that's the case, Rav said, then it's the same thing as Karka, and Karka ultimately, again, cannot generate a Shavua by itself, but Eben Ivri can be subject to Google the So what would you have thought I would have thought about it as follows. You know, karka. sometimes people do engage in off-market real estate transactions, right? And people don't know that real estate has, has, has changed hands. less like So sometimes you can sell real estate, you can sell real estate, without anyone knowing about it. Hi, people say, when you buy an Ebed high in Isad de Zabin, if somebody's selling themselves as an Ebed Ivri, Kala Islay. Definitely people would know about it. And if no one knows about it, that must be indicative that what? That what? That it did not happen. Kamash Malan, Kamash Malan say that that is not the case. Kamash Malan, that there are cases of Ebed Ivri that people don't know about. And therefore, Halakha Maisa, that could be grounds, ultimately, again, of Gilgal shvuah. So you could have a situation where Halakha Maisa, Reuven is taking an oath regarding one thing, whatever, some type of monetary <coughs> claim. And then I could force Reuven to take a, a Gilgal shvuah say, also swear that you are not my Eved Ivri. Because according to Rava, Eved Ivri has a status of Karako. So by itself, again, wouldn't generate the obligation of shvuah, But Gilgal shvuah can make Reuven take a show that that is not my Eved Ivri. Okay, beautiful. Both say Mishnah. Mishnah, really interesting case over here. The, the Mishnah, we're going to translate it according to the Havamina, but then the Gemara is going to really turn it upside down. So here we say, here we go. It literally translated, Kalana'aset damim means any item that is used as an item of value to acquire something else. Anything that is used as an item of value to acquire something else. Now, take a quick look at Rashi. Rashi says, "Kol anas ha'damim Rashi says, "Shedarko l'sito b'damim kishakonen chefets echod v'hasha sa'adai tcha dematbea aslah shminon kevon shezach hazeh nischaizeh b'chalipin." Never say. So let me just take a step back for just a moment. The Mishnah introducing us to the concept of chalipin, kinyan chalipin. Now, we've made mention of it before. What's kinyan chalipin? Kinyan chalipin is literally a flip act of acquisition. Now, the way Khalipin works is as I said, there's a focus as to the mechanics of Khalipin. We're just going to go according to Rashi over here. So, if you can imagine the following situation Ruvain, Ruvain wants to acquire a cow from Shimon. Okay? So, obviously, again, the cow is in the Talthalin. The can be acquired through a whole variety of different ways. But they want to use a king in Khalipin. So, how would you do a king in Khalipin? Ruvain would go ahead and give an item, ultimately, again, to Shimon. Reuven would give an item to Shimon, Shimon would acquire that item. And when Shimon acquires that item, Reuven acquires the cow. It's a flip active acquisition. But the item that Reuven, that Reuven the purchaser, ultimately gives to Shimon need not be the value of the cow. It's more, a, I'm not going to call it a symbolic item because it's a legal item, but it's a legal item that is there to affect the flip act of acquisition. Now, the way Rashi understands the Mishnah over here is that the Mishnah is talking about a coin. So what does Reuben do? Reuben gives a coin to Shimon, right? And, Reuben, and right, so Shimon lifts up the coin, acquires the coin, and when Shimon acquires the coin, Reuben acquires the cow. That's called a nas. That, that's the havamina. We're gonna, the Gemara is going to challenge that, but Lamai said that's the way. Right, look at Rashi for just a moment. Rashi says the as it it stands now, it sounds like the Mishnah is coming to teach us that a coin could be used as the vehicle for chalipin. So we'll say, coin trash, what it sounds like over here, is that the Mishnah teach me that money, money, a coin, could be used as the vehicle of chalipin, and not dummy And not actual money. So in this case, the coin is being used as the vehicle. I could have used the handkerchief. I could have used my pen. I could have used uh, my watch. Could have used a whole bunch of things. But here I'm using a coin. Now, listen, now what's the chaf of this? The hap of this is, remember, so now, Reuven is giving the coin to Shimon. The moment that Shimon takes the coin, then what? What's, what's occurred? Reuven is the proud owner of, of the cow. Now, he's the proud owner of the cow, no matter wha- where the cow is. Right, in other words, so the cow might be still in Shimon's rishos, the cow might be at uh, another location, but as soon as Shimon acquires the coin, the flip act of acquisition kicks in, and Reuben acquires the cow. So the Gemara says, hazeh, As soon as Shimon acquires the coin, ultimately again Reuben acquires the cow. Ketzer, what's the example? And i both say, this is where the Mishnah kind of do- doesn't make as much sense, because what we just said before, but kesah hechlif shor well say in this case over here, what's happening over here is Ruvain Ruvain owns a cow and Shimon owns an ox. They want to exchange. They want to exchange. So what happens? So Hihlif ol chamar b'shar, or an ox for a donkey. Kavan hazeh, once one of the parties acquires the animal, the other's animal, Nischayv ultimately again the other one acquires the exchange animal as well. So we'll say so this is kingin chalipin beautiful says the gemara chalipin Maynihu Matbeah. so the gemara says one second see so now what you're telling you over here is that chalipin could be affected kingin chalipin could be affected ultimately again through a coin so we'll say so remember again I could take a coin which normally has the status of money of money and what the Mishnah sounds like what it's saying is I could use it as an item or a clea of chalipin i so one problem with that." Shmamino, I guess you now from here that a coin can be used to affect chalipin. I will say, here is the problem. The problem is, a coin cannot be used to affect chalipin. Rashi says, "Over here, I will say, we're going to see over here. There's a machlokas as to what vehicle, what's the vehicle to affect Khalipen. Now, some are going to say you need a clear utensil. Others are going to say that even pre, right? Peyros work. But it seems to be almost unanimous that money, right? Kesef does not work to affect Khalipin. You can't affect Khalipin with, with Kesef. Again, we'll see what we're going to see. Remember, the, the, the paradigm for King and Khalipin is found in Megillas Rus, right? Shalaf Ishna'alo. We'll talk about this in just a little bit. So the Mesa... So the Nisa, ultimately, again, you can't use Kasef. So how does the Mishnah say you can use Kasef? Am um, Rav Yehudachikim, what does it mean to say? <laughs> kol Damim Ba'akhir. So I will say, look at Rashi, look at Rashi. What does he mean, kol Damim Says Rashi, kol davar shim ba'lisito Damim Ba'akhir, tzarek l'shumo bedam, dahil koma taltamana beya. We say, the way to read the Mishnah is like this. Kol Hanishum Damim Ba'acher means anything whose value needs to be assessed when using it in a transaction. So essentially what the mission is referring to is not money. It's not money. Because we'll say, you don't have to assess the value of money. The value of money stands on its own. The mission is talking about any item that when being used in a transactional way has to be evaluated. What does that refer to? Metalkan, bovol property. Bovol property. Any item, called any item that ultimately, again, needs a valuation when being used as payment, for something else, i.e. Metautalin. We'll say, Amadez, Keivan, Shezach, Azeh, Nischai, Bechalipin. The Gemara totally rejects it. We thought this whole time, that, anything that is used for payment for something else, was referring to the use of a coin, to affect Chalipin. Now the Gemara says, no, 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 read the Mishnah as, anything that when used in a transactional setting, needs an appraisal or needs a valuation. What is that referring to? Movable property, metaltolin. And what it's talking about is the use of metaltolin to affect Khalipin. So I will say, so therefore again, what we're being introduced to about, and this is an incredible idea. So again, I could go ahead, I want to acquire something from Ruvain, I could give him an item, an item. And once Ruvain acquires that item, I acquire the item from Ruvain, a flip, Act of acquisition, and the chap is will say again, it's not an in kind, it's not an in kind exchange, right? The idea just is, I'm giving Ruvain something. What's the something? The something could have a high value. The something could have a low value. It's just the something. But the idea is, King and Chalipin says, once Reuven acquires X, then I acquire the other item Y dictani, again, I will say 28b. First line in, or second line. Dekanami dictani, Kaytsad, because I will say this, this explanation makes a lot more sense. Because remember again, how did the Mishnah illustrate this example? Kaytsad, Hichleth shor beparah o chamor Bishar. But remember again, the Mishnah, when it illustrates King and doesn't illustrate it with money. Right? The money is not being used as the article of Chalipin. Rather, well, what's happening over here? You're exchanging a donkey. Right? Or, or an ox for a cow. Right? Or a donkey for an ox. And what does the Mishnah say? Once one party takes possession of his animal, the other party automatically acquires possession of the other animal wherever it may be. That is called King and I says the Gimara, third light, and I'll say, so the Gemara is my Okay, so fine. We'll say, Sinat the Gemara asks, but one second, let me ask you this question. Obviously, this whole conversation got started because we thought the Mishnah was talking about the use of money, the use of money as a vehicle for Halipin. We thought the Mishnah was coming to teach us that money, a coin, could be used as the object to affect Halipin. So according to that original reading of the Mishnah, how do you read the rest of the Mishnah? When the Mishnah says Ketzad, almost Ketza usually means the Mishnah illustrates a principle, and then Ketzad is to show you what? right? Ketzad is to show you the application of that principle, so according to our original reading where we thought the Mishnah was telling us that money could be used as the vehicle for, for chalipin, how do you understand the keitsad? To which the Gemara says, my case"? what is what it means to say, peros nami the chalipin. You yeah, know, I will say, the keitsad is coming to illustrate something else. The case was actually, so the first part of the Mishnah is coming to teach me, that's what? Money could be used to affect chalipin. The case is coming to teach you that even peros, even peros, I will say, Peros doesn't just have to mean fruit, right? Peros means peros means essentially anything that's not a kli and not kasef. If you're not a kli and you're not a kasef, you're essentially peros. So the "My case, Alkamar, peros nami avdi Chalipin, Right? Peros, look at Rashi, peri nami kol midi delohavi kli peri Anything that's not a kli ultimately, again, is called peros. It's called peros. Abdi Chalipin, Osindoraz Chalipin. Rashi says over here, Rashi says, I'm sorry, it's Ketzal. Hech Basar, shar b'parah, o chamar beshar Shabbat said, the Gemara changes the verbiage a little bit, whereas the Mishnah was speaking about actually exchanging a cow for an ox. Here the Gemara is suggesting what it means is exchanging the meat, the meat. So that's, that's, a, that's a case of a pre, right? That's a case ultimately again of something that is not kasaf. It's not a clean, it's a pre. So what's the halach? Once, once one party, right, acquires one meat, the other party acquires the other meat. Se'af Rabbo say, the is doing something interesting over here. So what we just did, let, let's establish what we've done. We've established the correct way to read the Mishnah. What's the correct way to read the Mishnah? Kol Anything that when used in a transaction usually requires valuation which which means metalical and movable property, ultimately, again, could be used to affect Khalipin. Beautiful. And then the keitsad, then the illustration of the example, makes perfect sense. Beautiful. Then it will say, that, right, that's the keitsad. But then the Gemara says, one second, according to the Havamina, that the Mishnah was talking about the use of a coin to affect Khalipin. So ultimately, how do you read the keitsad? According to the Havamina, then, the first part of Mishnah is coming to teach you that I can use a coin to affect Chalipin. And then the case has coming to teach that what? I can use Peros to affect Chalipin. To which the Gemara says, one second. The Gemara says, uh, good. That's funny. According to Rav Sheshach who says that Peros can be used to affect Chalipin. And Rav Nachman, there's Peros lo of di Chalipin. But according to Rav Nachman who says that Peros cannot be used for Chalipin. Cannot be used for khalipin. Ultimately, again, may mm-hmm. ikalimimar. So we'll say, what is there to say? Oh, yeah, Hakhiro, what does it mean to say? Ultimately, again, there are, there are, there is money. I'm sorry. Hakhiro, yeshdam shenk khalipin. This is an example of ultimately money that could be used like khalipin. What's the case? Ketzad. Hikhlif dmei shar bepara. O Demeh Khamar Bishar. Okay, so I'm gonna say this case is a bit more complicated. So the Imam wants to suggest that there is a case where money could work for Khalibun. What's the case? Let's look, let's look at the case in Rashi. See Rashi Kazad say here we go. Makr lo, here's the case. So I'm going to say, this is a this is a two-part case as we're going to see. Mahar,, lo Shar Bin So here we go. Ruvein sold Shimon a shard, sold him an ox. For a mona. Fine. And what happens? Umashri Then Shimon did Mashiach on the shar. Beautiful. Because remember again, Bali chayim animals can be acquired through Mashiach. Fantastic. Right? So Ruvain sold, right? So Ruvain sold Shimon. Here's the Shar. The Shar is one mana, Fine. Ruvain Shimon goes in and does Mashiach. He acquires the shar. But venis is lo low Now will say remember again, Shimon didn't pay up yet. Shimon which means Shimon owes Ruvain a mona. For the shah purchased, fine. So, say so now—that's transaction one. Transaction two. Ruvein says to Shimon, "Yesh para Now, so say so after Ruvain sold Shimon the share for a thousand dollars, and Shimon did mishicha but didn't yet pay Ruven. So now Shimon has an outstanding debt to Ruvein for a thousand dollars. Ruvain says to Shimon, "Shimon, by the way, I'm in the market for a cow. Market for a cow. Do you happen to have a cow?" <coughs> Amr le- hey, right so, Ruva, so Shimon says yes I have a cow Shema lo and the Bible says how much is the cow amazing how much is the cow take a wild guess a thousand dollars amana right amana so the Gemara says so right, Amr, so Amr lehi hein Shema lo b'mana o, bif, o Bifras Amr mocher O Amr lo mocher O Amr lo mocher O Amr lo mocher O Amr lo shahari O Amr lo shahat haib li so the Bible says so now Reuben wants to buy the cow from Shimon Shimon so what does Ruven say to Shimon? Shimon, here's the deal. Here's the deal. The money that you owe me should now go towards the cow. Right? Remember, Shimon owed Ruven a thousand dollars for the purchase of the ox. Now Ruven wants to purchase account from Shimon. So Ruvain says to Shimon, the money that you owe me for the ox should now go towards the cow. So we will saying, now watch this. The Gemara wants to suggest that the Chavimina, or the Gemara is suggesting that that money, that money that Shimon owed Ruvain, ultimately, again, now allow Ruvain to acquire the cow, even without Meshichah, through Chalipin. Through Chalipin. One more time, I will say, one more time. Ruvain sells Shimon an Axe for $1,000. We can use $1,000 to have a right, $1,000. Fine, Shimon takes the Axe, does Meshichah acquired acquired the ox, but still owes Ruben $1,000. Ruben says to Shimon, Shimon, I'm in the market for a cow. Do you have a cow? Ruben, Shemin says, yes. says good. How much? $1,000. So Ruben says, the $1,000, Shimon, you owe me for the ox, should ultimately count as the payment for the cow. So the Gemara says, such a case like that, that money, that money, actually becomes a vehicle of Khalibin. And ultimately, again, Ruben automatically acquires the cow even without Mashikha wherever the cow may be, he acquires that cow through that money, that money acts as chalipin. Incredible. So we'll say that's the idea over here. Sometimes money can work like chalipin. My time. What's the reason for this? And we'll say, why should this work? Why should this work? We'll say, we actually mentioned this before, because in its essence, he holds like Rabbi O'Connor. What does Rabbi Yochanan hold? Rabbi Yochanan holds that mid oraisa maos konos. They will say, mid money allows you to acquire movable property without taking possession of it, without meshicha, without mesira, without and nothing. All, when you pay for something, you acquire it. Mm-hmm. I right, So why did Chazal step in? So why did Chazal say that no, we don't allow money to acquire movable property, brother? Rather, you have to do meshicha. Zera, yom ru, yom so we'll say, this is actually a really interesting idea. So let's take a step back. Himself holds. Rabbi O'Connor himself holds that lemaysa, money acquires movable property. Right, so why did the rabbis, why did Chazal step in and say the only time you acquire movable property is when you do Mashiach, when you actually take it in your domain? Because Chazal works about the following thing. Well, so imagine the following scenario. I go ahead and I purchase, I purchase wheat from Ruve. Okay, $1,000 in wheat. but I didn't. So I own it, but I didn't yet take possession of it. A fire breaks out in Rubain's storehouse and it destroys $1,000 of wheat. What do you think Ruben's going to say to me? What do you think he's going to say to me? I'm so sorry for your loss. So sorry for your, your loss. Your loss. You know, the $1,000 in wheat that was destroyed was yours and you were the, already the owner of it. Chazal were concerned. Chazal were concerned that if money affected complete acquisition and the property was still in the domain of the seller and the seller experienced some type of loss, he would allocate that loss to the purchaser's property. So what Chazal essentially did, I say is they created a certain sense of buyer protection. How do they say buyer protection? Your money does not acquire movable property. You know what acquires movable property? You're taking it into your possession. Only once it's in your possession is it yours, which I will say means something very interesting, which means, that if I paid Ruvain for wheat, if I paid Ruvain for wheat, and there was a fine Rubain storehouse and it destroyed a thousand dollars in wheat, Ruvain cannot allocate that loss to me. That's Ruvain's loss. Right? It's not yet mine until I go ahead and I take possession of it. So that's why Chazal stepped in. So Gemara suggests over here. Milsa the Shricha Kazu Buhuraban. The rabbis only went ahead and the rabbis only went ahead and were goes this in normative cases. Milsa but I will say, in uncommon cases, Chazal nakolz. I will say, what's an example of an uncommon case? The example of the uncommon case would be the case we just mentioned before, where Reuven sold the ox to Shimon. Shimon owes Reuven thousand dollars. Reuven then purchases a cow from Shimon for thousand dollars, and Reuven says, "The money you owe me ultimately, again, should go towards the cow." That is an uncommon case. That's a milsa de los shricha. So, because it's a milsh an uncommon case, you can actually use the money to go ahead and affect khalipin. Because we could even go back to the da'oraisa that says maos konos. I, Chazal, said maos not konos only in regular cases. But in abnormal cases, money could still go ahead and affect acquisition. Incredible. But we'll say, what about reish lakish? Reish lakish is of the opinion that halo huh? So ultimately, Meshichah, the concept of movable property, being acquired only through Meshichah, ultimately is a pasif. we we'll say, what's the pasif? We actually saw last week's staff. Something you acquire from the hands of your friend. Ishlakish says, the only way to acquire movable property, ultimately, again, is through Meshichah. So the Gemara says, what does he do? How does he acquire? Does he understand this case? So it makes sense. It feels like Rav Shesh Tomer Peros Avdi Chalipin, who holds that Peros could go out and affect Chalipin. So Matayis Rav Sheshes the Isar la K'rab Gamliel Rabbi Nachman. Sorry, Tomer Peros Avdi Chalipin. Oh, not bear. Low Connie, but my Connie. But if he holds ultimately, like Rabbi who says that Peros cannot be used as the vehicle for Chalipin and a coin cannot be used for the vehicle Chalipin, how would he set up this case? it has to be ultimately again that he must hold like the particular case of or like the particular approach ultimately say we emerged from here with a number of things number one I will say, we paskin we paskin that for chalipin for chalipin ultimately you have to use a clean you have to use a utensil now it doesn't necessarily have to go ahead and satisfy the typical definition of a utensil. In other words, usually a clean in Halacha, that has a base kibble, a receptacle. You don't have to use a receptacle, but the idea is you don't use money for khalibin, you don't use money for khalibin, and ultimately again, we don't use peros for khalibin. So it has to be ultimately, again, something that we would call a kli, ultimately goes ahead and affects khalibin. That's how we pass in in al HaYisam. And we'll say number two, we do accept this concept that oraisa ma'os konos. Really oraisa, ultimately, again, money affects the acquisition, ultimately, of metal movable property. But Chazal stepped in and said, no, you don't acquire movable property until you take physical possession, and that is because of buyer protection. But again, halach l'maysa Chazal only applied that principle in normative cases, but in non-normative cases, you, so you could find situations where ma'os konos, where money ultimately again would acquire. Incredible, I'll say. Let's go there. Mishnah. i say this is an incredible mishnah. I'm Sorry. Rishus hagavoa. Sorry. Rishus gavoa bekesef, or rishus pechazaka. So i it's interesting halachah. Hekdish, hekdish, acquires things through money. So I'll say this comes on the hill of what we just said before, right? We just said before that for our purposes, money does not acquire metalthalin. What, right? What acquires Metalk What acquires Metalk Lin? Meshicha. Meshicha, Mesira. Right, Dan acquires. But for Hekdish, Hekdish acquires items with money. Or Rishusha Hedyot peh Chazaka. But also again, Rishusha means a regular person. A regular person acquires stuff only with Chazaka. We'll say, what does Chazaka mean? Some type of proprietary act, or act of ownership. Similarly, the Gemara says, Ami Rassal L'Gavoah, Kimisi Ultimately, we'll say, when you pledge something to the Reis HaMikosh, a pledge, And an Amira ultimately is binding, as binding as Kimisira, so is giving over something to another individual. So we'll say, here the Mishnah is contrasting the power of, the power of kinyan by Hektish, as opposed ultimately again to regular on the We'll say, I, I think also in this Mishnah, there's a, there's a very profound Yisov. If you look at these words, you look at these words, Rishus HaGavoah, I say, how does one go ahead and enter into the Rishus of the ribono shalom? All right? Isn't that what I want? I want to be in Rishus Gavoah. I ultimately, I, I want to be, I, I, I want to be close to HaKadosh Baruch Hu. How do you enter into Rishus Gavoah? Be Kasef. I say, the notion of Kasef is the same notion of Kisufin. Kisufin means yearning. Yearning, right? Kasef is money. Kisufin, right? Kisufin is yearning. How does one enter into Roshosh Gavua? How does one enter into the Roshosh How does one, like Davod HaMalaf says, I have one thing I want in life. Shifti Bevei Sashem. I want to live in the house of Ganesh Baruch Hu. Va'ani kirma kim li tov. The only thing I want out of life, the only thing I want out of life, is I want to be closer to, you know, the Malbin asks on the Hasek in Davod HaShem or of Ishi. says, I want one thing. Shifti Bevei Sashem. To live in the house of closeness, the says, "David, that's it. You only want one thing. What about health? What about Paranasa? What about shalom bayis? All the things we dive in for." The Malbush said, "David, understood. If you have closeness to Hakadosh Baruch Hu, everything else falls into place in life. So, how do I get rishus gavoah? How do I become close to Hakadosh Baruch Hu? It's yearning. We spoke about this in the Chassidus Chabur on Thursday night. The power of yearning." The power of wanting something is so incredibly powerful in the eyes of Hakamish Baruch. Hu. You want to come to Rosh Hashanah? Kasef, yearn for it. There will say, this stands in contradistinction. Rosh Hashanah. See, they will say, in the Welt, in the world, if you want to accomplish something, if you want to accomplish something, what do you need? What do you need? Chazokah, an act. You know, imagine you show up to work, right? You show up to work. and you sit at your desk the whole day playing Tetris. You don't play Tetris anymore? I don't know, all right, fine, whatever, solitaire. You know, you you sit the whole day playing solitaire, right? And your boss comes over and he says, what's going on, I just just want you to know, I might be playing solitaire, but I have an incredible burning desire to work. I just want you to understand, like really? Like in my heart, I want to be operating on all cylinders. I'm not, but I just want you to know what my yearning is, right? They'll be proudly be told to yearn on the other side of the door, right? Right? So say, it's the big distinction between the world, the world, the mundane world, and kiddusha. You see, Rushuskaboa, Rushushava, or Rishusha Hedyot is chazaka. In the world of Osai, success is only defined by one thing, which is which is results. If you don't produce results, you're a failure. That's it. It doesn't matter. I tried so hard to seal the deal. That's great. Did you get the deal done or not? If you did, you're a success. If you didn't, if you didn't, you're a failure. There is no A for effort in the mundane world. It's all about results.' say. And here's a distinction between the physical world and the spiritual world. In the spiritual world, it's all about effort. Because in the spiritual world there's an acute understanding that I don't control the results. In the mundane world, we fool ourselves, we think we control the results. So again, in Rushuskava, gavoah, gavoah, how do you get there? Bekeseth. It's all about yearning. It's all about yearning. Or Rushusahot. In the mundane world, Bechazaka, it's all about results. Similarly, Ami say, In the world of Kidusha, simply articulating a desire. To want to do something is so profound. When a Yid tells the Rebano Shal I want to be a tzaddik. I want to be holy, I want to be righteous. My, my behaviors are not there yet. My lifestyle is not there yet, but I want you to know what I want. Ami the You make an amira that's ke misi raso in the physical world, mundane world, you tell people what you want, here's my goal, here's my aspirations, fantastic. That doesn't matter. What matters in the physical world? Mesira. Transactions. Transactions. What's saying in the physical mundane world? What matters is results. What matters is transactions. Your yearnings, your sheifas, what you want, matter for absolutely nothing. What you produce, ultimately again, determines your success. In the world of Kiddusha, Menachem, I saw you already. Just come in. Just come in. Hey, it was a good try. It was a good try. Hey, so... <laughs> just come in. Hey, so... so in the world of Kiddusha, in the world of, you wanted to be caught. You could have come in the back. You could have easily gone right? In, in, in the world of Kiddusha, I will say, in the world of Kiddusha, ultimately, again, it's your Amira. In the world of Kiddusha, it's your yearning. In the world of Kiddusha, it's the articulation of your desires. That's what matters most in the eyes of HaKadosh Baruch. will say, is that Mishnah not a gift? Is that Mishnah not a gift? On the first day of slichas, the first day of slichas, I will say, this is what it's all about. It's about, ultimately, again, yearning to be something greater. It's about saying to Hakadosh Baruch Hu, "Here's what I want to be." Who's who? Here's who I want to be, even though I'm not there yet, and I may not get there for a very long time. I know that in the world, in the world, it's all about results. In the world, it's all about transactions. But with that Hakadosh Baruch Hu, it's all about yearning, and it's all about articulating who you want to be, what you want to be, even if you're not there yet. Says Yeratan Rabanan, "Ketzer Rishos What does it mean that ultimately, again? So the base amikta Akar is back. Hasav Gizbar Shanasam Mosam So let's we'll say for example, a Gizbar, right? So the temple treasurer goes ahead and pays money for an animal. Afila Beheimah B'Sofa Olam, even if the animal is on the other side of the world. Ultimately, again, Beis Mikhtash requires an ubehed yot lo kana atshim shokht. Well, so that's a very profound distinction. Right? So, again, Beis Mikhtash pays money. Once he pays money, Beis Mikhtash acquires the animal wherever it is. But a regular guy pays money again. As we said, Devar Torah, even though we, 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 money doesn't acquire livestock, only Mashikha does. Kaysa Ami Rasa Gavak, Mishrasa Lahay. Yo, it was an example ultimately, again, of Amir Rasa Gavak, Mishrasa Lahay. Jarha Omer. Sharze Ola. Ola. Person says, "This ox is an olam bayis zeh hektish. This home is hektish. Afila beselfa olam koneh. Even if the ox is on the other side of the world, even if the home is on the other side of the world, based on acquires it. The head yotl koneh top of chavtes ad shiim shok viyachzik. But ultimately, again, I will say, by head yotl by regular individual, again, you don't acquire it." Either until you do Mashiach by an animal, or a Chazaka by a home. So we'll have to stop over here for today. Incredible sugya. I will say. Again, I think what I'm going to do actually, I will say if it's okay, if it's okay, I'm going to ask you to do some homework. Because it's Sunday, it's a long day, Baruch Hashem. Tomorrow we are starting the ridiculously amazing Mishnah of Kal Mitzos HaBen Now the I so will say, So I'm going to ask you just to do the rest of the sugya up until the Mishnah for homework. Again, I believe in you. But again, the bottom line, just to understand, it's, only, it's just simple illustrations of the previously articulated principles. Namely, the fundamental distinction between Hekdish and Hedyot. Ultimately, again, Hekdish acquires everything with kesef. Hedyot needs formal kinyonim. Either Chazakah by, by real estate, or ultimately, again, Meshicha by movable property. Ultimately, again, by hekdish, even just pledging something conveys ownership to hekdish but ultimately, again, by regular transactions, you don't acquire it until there's a formal key. And I will say, you'll see all the examples of that. We'll start at the Mishnah tomorrow, Shkoyach.